Guys, let's pray together as we come to God's Word. Let's pray. Um, Father God, we just thank you that you're present with us by your Spirit and by your Word. And Father, we just ask that in what is said and thought and meditated upon, upon that you would reveal uh, Jesus to us, Lord, the one who is full of grace and truth. Father, may what I say and may what we think on um, give us resources and give us encouragement to seek and to encounter Jesus who came full of grace and of truth. We pray in his precious name. Amen. 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 Folks, we'll return to uh, God's word and we're going to read from uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and the words will be on the screen. But if you'd like to open a pew Bible in front of you there, it's on page 1192. And uh, this is Paul writing to Timothy. Uh, Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, uh, the Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through the prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And we finish our reading there. Well, tonight, as Gareth was saying, um, following our vision launch last week, we're starting into a new series entitled, Who I Am, Who I Am. And we'll be looking at this series in the mornings uh, through the book of Galatians, and we'll be looking at it in the evenings, and, and perhaps that'll be a little bit more collectively as in a sort of a who we are, or who I am as a member of God's people. Um, it's, that, it's vital that we have that individual relationship with God, that we know who we are in relation to Him, but also that we know that we have that relationship with Him as a member of His body here on earth. So we'll be looking at, at who I 
am. That's what we'll be looking at. Who we are in Christ, who are as followers of Jesus, who we are as children of God. And tonight's talk is, is entitled, I Believe. And I guess we'll be looking at some of the documents that bind us together as God's people, as church family uh, under our Father. I believe. But looking at what we believe as Christians, because you see, what we believe really matters. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this during the week. It probably matters more than we think and has a bigger impact on our lives and on who we are than we think. What we believe really matters. And so as we seek in our new God-given vision for Orangefield uh, with Jesus bringing life, as a congregation, we'll be prioritizing deep connections, spiritual formation, compassionate giving, and courageous pioneering. And what we believe will inform and shape us in our mission to do this, in what we do and in what, who we are and in who we are becoming. A few years ago now, uh, at my previous church in, in Christ Church in Dundonald, I took uh, uh, our youth group over uh, to the, the Skytrack um, place over at Colin Glen for a bit of fun. I don't know if you've been to it. Um, it's probably had a couple of different names in its, uh, in its time, but it's over at Colin Glen, Skytrack at the minute. And a session at Skytrack consists of, of wall climbing, zip lining, high ropes, all that sort of stuff, you know. And one of the rides is called the Fan Descender Freefall. Uh, and this involves climbing up three flights of stairs. Up, it's up level with a sort of a three-story building uh, and, uh, and putting, uh, clipping a line onto the, the harness that you have uh, and just stepping out into thin air and hoping that the line will lower you safely and uh, slowly and safely down onto the ground. Well, you see... In a previous life as a roofer, I spent 16 years making pretty darn sure that I didn't just step off a three-story building. So I was a little bit reluctant, to say the least, as I was stood up there in the line on the scaffold at the very back of the line. And, uh, and so there I was, and it came around to my turn. And I was a bit reluctant, and, and I got the harness on, uh, and, and all these kids had gone off before me, but I was kind of thinking, yeah, that's okay for you. You're about eight stone. I'm probably near 18. I'm just wondering, is this going to hold me? Is this going to hold me? And there I was doing this whole sort of, you know that Mr. Bean on the diving board episode sort of thing where he was sort of very reluctant to step out off it? That was me uh, at this Skytrack thing. And then after much encouragement, and not a little mocking from my friends. I, I plucked up the courage, and I trusted in the line that it would, in fact, hold me and let me down slowly and safely. And I stepped out believing that. I stepped out believing that. And you see, it obviously did deliver me slowly and safely to the ground. And I know that that's a bit of a mixed blessing for you guys here now tonight, but it did what it said it was going to do. And you see, the bottom line is this. The bottom line is what I believed affected what I did. What I believed affected what I did. And you know, we live by that rule. As I thought about it, as I said, we live by that rule every day. We live by that rule every day. And you see, we don't have to go too far to prove the truth of it, that what we believe affects our lives and how we, how we live and, and who we are, actually. 
It happens dozens, if not hundreds of times a day. We walk up to a pedestrian crossing. If we believe that the car coming along is going to stop, we step out. If we don't, we won't. If we, if we believe a taxi driver will take us from A to B, we get in. If we don't, we won't. If we go to sit on a seat and we believe that it'll take our weight, we sit on it. If we don't, we won't. If we go to a restaurant and we order a meal and we believe it's, it's, it's fresh and safe to eat, we'll eat it. If we don't, we won't. You see, what we believe fundamentally affects what we do and how, who we are. And it can, have, it can be a matter of life and death, can't it, actually, when you think about even some of those things I mentioned. And it can have truly eternal consequences. So it's important that we know and that we believe the truth. And that's why Paul writes here in this letter to Timothy, he exhorts him in verse 16 of chapter 4 of our reading, watch your life and doctrine carefully, closely. Watch your life and doctrine closely. And I guess we live in days when the word doctrine and the thing doctrine, it's probably not all that cool. You know, we don't talk about it very much like whenever we're just out and about, do we? It doesn't sound like a cool thing to talk about. It doesn't, it, it doesn't feel the most exciting or most uh, important thing in the world, even perhaps to, to Christians. We might think, well, sure, you know, as long as I'm a reasonably nice bloke and put a few quid into the church and get a sort of a fuzzy feeling when I'm worshiping, sure, well, that's, that's it, isn't it, really? But no, not at least according to our Father in heaven and his word. You see, according to him, doctrine matters. And he commands us to watch it closely. The Apostle Paul, he uses the word three times in, in this one short letter to Timothy. And each time he's highlighting its importance and our need to pay close attention to it. Well, since it's a word we don't use a whole lot out there in the everyday world, we might start by asking, what is doctrine? What is doctrine? And the word translated here means instruction or teaching. And so good, sound Christian doctrine is authoritative Bible, biblical teaching, which should help us to reach one of our goals, one of our priorities, spiritual formation. Good biblical doctrine will spiritually form us to make us more like Jesus. And the Bible says of itself in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So here at Orangefield, as we seek to gather with Jesus to bring life to Belfast and the nations, we are to be careful about what we believe and what we present as truth. First Timothy says here, watch your life and doctrine closely, persevere in them because, because if you do, if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers it has implications both for me and my hearers. It has implications both for you and those people who are watching your life and listening to what you say. And it says you will save both yourself and your hearers. It's a matter of life or death. It's quite serious stuff for both ourselves and for others. But unfortunately, the Bible isn't always the foundation upon which people or churches even build their doctrinal statements on which they stand. Because we are sinful, fallen human beings.
beings and we have a sinful, fallen human nature. And so we so often want to pick and choose those parts of the Bible that, that we like, that we agree with. You know, the world out there would be very okay with a loose leaf Bible. With a loose leaf Bible that they could just take the pages out of that they don't like and keep the pages in that they like. But we can't do that. Watch your doctrine closely, carefully. Oh, we might like a loose leaf Bible or, or, or perhaps we can go wrong by reading verses out of context and come up with false doctrine and teaching rather than take into account the whole sweep of Scripture on any given uh, issue. Or, or we might perhaps replace what God says with man-made tradition. And we see numerous false religions and cults out there made, uh, well, are designed around man-made teaching and tradition that are completely at odds with the Bible and the truth of the Bible. And you see, this is nothing new. 2,000 years ago, Jesus himself, he rebuked the scribes and Pharisees in Mark chapter 7. And he says, I quote, you are teaching as doctrines the commandments of men and not of God. False teaching was rampant in New Testament times and the scripture tells us it will continue to the end of time. For listen to Paul as he speaks in his second letter to Timothy. He says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, he says, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. You see, rather than listening to the word of truth, they will gather around the people who say what they want to hear. And friends, this time has come. We're living in those days. It's a kind of consumerism. People just want to hear what they want to hear. Consume it. But the Bible gives a stern warning to those who teach false doctrine simply because it is more compatible with man's ideas. So, so doctrine is a worldview that, by which we live our lives and by which we are shaped our doctrine is based soundly upon Scripture. If it is based soundly upon Scripture, then we can be, know that we are living as God wants us to live. We can know truly who we are. And we can know that we are being shaped by the truth of the gospel into the person and the people that he wants us to be more like Jesus. You see, God wants us to know his heart. And he has given us his word upon which we can build godly lives. And the more then we study true biblical doctrine, the more we know and understand God, the more we know and understand ourselves, the more we know who we are. In the great commission that Jesus gives us in Matthew 28, he commissions us to make disciples, to baptize and to teach, to teach them to obey everything that he has commanded us. And you see, if we wander from his teaching, then the focus shifts from Jesus and his wonderful gospel of salvation by grace alone and onto something else, onto anything else. And we must not do that. Because the good news, the joy, is in the gospel, is in the truth of the Bible and in our friend Jesus. And our eternal destiny depends upon us hearing and responding to his teaching. 
Sound doctrine is important because this teaching is entrusted to us by God, and we dare not tamper with this message to the world. Our duty is to deliver the message, not to change it. Sound doctrine is important because, as we've said, we believe what, it, what we believe affects what we do and who, who we become. There is a direct correlation of who, who we are, of what we think and who we are. Sound doctrine is important because in a world of falsehood and fake news, we must ascertain truth and hold to it. For it is the truth that what? It is the truth that sets us free. And the best way to distinguish truth from falsehood is to know what the truth is. And to know the truth, to know Jesus, who John tells us comes full of grace and truth. Sound doctrine brings life. Life for both our hearers and ourselves. Sound doctrine is important because by it we encourage one another, as Paul writes in the first chapter of his letter to Titus. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. You see, our theology is to be a, a really practically applicable thing. It's to help shape our lives. And so in the church, right belief, orthodoxy, and right action, orthopraxis, they should go hand in hand. They should go hand in hand as we are spiritually formed by his word and his spirit to become increasingly like Jesus. And you see, the church has always known this, and that's why from the earliest of times she has sought to, to, to sum up and teach the fundamental truths of the Bible through creeds and confessions and catechisms. If you would like a book to, to, to look at well, that will help you to um, underline the important reasons uh, for this, let me point you to one, one book that I found very helpful, the, the Creedal Imperative by Carl Truman, The Creedal Imperative. Sets out the the importance, the value of creed and confession and catechism. Now, let's be clear, the Bible alone is all that we need for our salvation. When we accept the Bible as God's word to us, we have a solid foundation for our doctrine and for our lives. And in our new vision document, we continue to underline the importance of God's word in our lives, reading our Bibles reading our Bibles both as individuals and in small groups with others. Letting our Bibles inform us, transform us, form us. So we do not add to the Bible or replace the Bible with creeds or confessions or catechisms or anything else. No, but we learn and understand the Bible with the help of these tools. And you know, some churches might say, well, no creed but the Bible, but Every congregation and denomination has its beliefs. It's just about whether they're written down or not. Ours are written down. You can check out what we believe very easily by picking up an Apostles' Creed, a Westminster Confession of Faith, or a shorter catechism. And every point of the creed is drawn from Scripture. Every article in the confession has Scripture proofs. And every answer in the catechism has scripture references. And when a Presbyterian minister or elder subscribes the Westminster Confession of Faith, he or she signs it as a subordinate standard. 
subordinate to the Bible. It's under the Bible. So these don't add to or replace the Bible, but they can help us to understand it and to live it out in our lives. Let me illustrate it like this, or maybe other ways of illustrating it, but this is one I think might be helpful. So we have our Bible, but we know that the Bible is open to interpretation. We know that we see and hear all sorts of strange interpretations of the Bible out there in the world. So we have our creed, our confession, and our catechism to give us a framework within which to interpret Scripture. And inside this framework is biblical truth and sound doctrine that leads to life. And anything outside this framework is false doctrine and heresy that leads only to death. So our creed, our confession, our catechism, they sum up the Christian faith and they give us a system of theology that captures the truth for us. The doctrine that we are to watch closely as Paul bids us in our reading. And you see, well, the creed, the confession, the catechism, they may not be very trendy reading in our current climate. But I hope that we've positively established their value and their necessity in protecting and teaching the truth of the Bible. And so whatever your past experience of them, we need to know what we believe. And we mustn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I didn't grow up with these documents, but I have to say that as I've sought to get to know God better and to understand and live His Word more faithfully and to be increasingly shaped by it, well, I have been increasingly drawn to these historical and timeless statements of biblical truth, and I hope you might be as well. So let's just look very briefly at each of these in turn. The Apostles' Creed, the, the Creed is a brief summary of the main tenets of Christian faith. The word creed comes from the Latin word credo, which means I believe, I believe. You see, Jesus commissioned the early church to go and make disciples, to baptize them and teach them to obey everything that he taught. And so the early church recognized the advantages of having a brief summary of the essentials, and this is in the Apostles' Creed. It's unlikely that it was actually written by the apostles, but it does sum up the teaching of the apostles. The faith once delivered to the saints. And the creed was certainly written by people who lived in a time very close to Jesus and was already in use by the second century AD. Twelve simple points, articles of faith, points of doctrine, which are the foundation of all true Christianity and which unite Christians around the world and around the, through the ages. It is perhaps the litmus test, the bottom line of orthodox Christian faith and biblical truth. As I said, the Apostles' Creed unites all believers through the ages, across the generations around the world, and across heaven itself. For there is but one church united with these foundational truths. So we have our creed, we have also our confession, the Westminster Confession of Faith. It was written at the time of the Reformation. It was written to try and separate out true biblical doctrine from the hundreds of years of man-made tradition and, uh, which had grown up around the teaching of the medieval Roman Catholic Church. It was drawn up by the Westminster Assembly of Divines, a group of, of theologians who met at Westminster Abbey in London from 1643 to 1653. 
It's a more major piece of work than the creed, but it also gives us a, a greater body of teaching. In fact, it's, a, it's a more of a mini systematic theology. 33 articles that cover all aspects of the creed, but also give us a greater teaching around those various elements. And it is the theology of our Presbyterian and Reformed church family around the world today. So to help us watch our doctrine closely, we have our creed, our confession, and finally, our catechism. In length, it falls somewhere between the, the creed and the confession. It was written to it at the same time as the confession of faith and, and the Westminster Longer Catechism, and the three documents being known collectively as the Westminster Standards. A friend of mine, Andrew Conway, he's a minister in my home church in Sacken Cumber. He produced a, this little contemporary language version of the, the shorter catechism made simple. He produced this recently. It uses, the catechism uses a simple question and answer format. And it gives us some simple yet wonderful scriptural answers to some of our biggest questions. Alpha publicity often uses the, you know, got questions. Well, the Alpha course will help answer some of our questions and so too will the catechism. For instance, why are we here? We'll check out the best known and very first question in the catechism. And it asks, in contemporary language, it asks, what is the supreme purpose of humanity? And the answer is, coming from the Bible, the supreme purpose of humanity is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now, I don't know about you, but I want that. I want that. I've always loved that answer. Because what could be a more purposeful life than spending it glorifying God and enjoying Him forever? It's a great aim to have in life. Glorifying and enjoying God in all that we think and say and do and are becoming. That would be a life well lived, wouldn't it? forever. And the likes of the catechism can help us do that. It helps us to avoid taking verses of Scripture out of context, coming up with dodgy theology. It draws us answers from a number of biblical passages right across the Old and New Testaments, from the whole counsel of God, if you like. It gives us a good system by which we can watch our lives and our doctrine carefully. It helps us to understand the great biblical truths to meet the truth himself, to inform and to guide us using 107 questions and answers. It helps us to look at our doctrine, to let it sink into our hearts and our minds and our lives. You see, we all have beliefs about God and about ourselves and about the world. Even people who never read the Bible and who never come to church have their own beliefs, their own ideas about God, themselves, the world, their own doctrine. That's what they have. So that means the question is not about whether we have a certain doctrine, a set of beliefs or not. It's really whether we have false doctrine or true, sound biblical doctrine. And that then is, of course, where our creed, our confession, and our catechism come into play. They don't replace the Bible. 
We don't abandon the Bible to study them. We study the Bible using them. At Orangefield, we read our Bibles. We read our Bibles together in small groups at quiet times on our own. Let me encourage you also perhaps to have at hand our creed, our confession, and our catechism. Not to replace our Bible, but to help us to better understand it. So we too can watch our life and our doctrine closely. So that we can really know who God is. We can really know who we are and who he wants us to become. So just as I finish, the story is told of an eagle. An eagle that when it was a little eaglet, just a few days old, that fell out of its nest. And a chicken farmer came along and found the young eaglet and he took the little eagle back home to his chicken farm and he put it in the coop with the chickens. So surrounded by all these chickens and watching them, the eagle grew up believing that it was a chicken. And it did what chickens do. It never tried flying over the little low wall, even though it could easily could have. It never tried doing that because the chickens didn't. It just spent its time scraping around on the ground like a chicken. And an ornithologist came along. Now, an ornithologist is someone who studies bird life, okay? An ornithologist, big, it's not a big theological term, okay? It's just someone who studies bird life. Came along and They came to the chicken farm to see if this eagle really was acting like a chicken, as he had heard. Because he knew that an eagle is not made for scraping around the farmyard, but to soar in the air to be the king of the sky. So he was surprised to see the eagle walking around the chicken coop, packing in the ground and acting just like a chicken. And the farmer explained to the man that he had brought it when it was very young and brought it with the chickens And this eagle believed it was a chicken. But the ornithologist knew that there was more to this great bird than his current actions were showing. So the man lifted the eagle up and he threw it into the air to see if it would fly and it didn't. It just fell to the ground and started scraping around like a chicken again. And the man lifted the eagle and he threw it a bit higher into the air and it just came down onto the ground and started scratching around like a chicken again. And then the man took the eagle and he took it up onto the the top of a mountain. And he threw it up into the air and at first it just started falling down towards the ground. But then slowly it opened its wings. Slowly it opened out, out its wings and it just glided a little. And then it started to flap those mighty wings And it started to rise on the breeze and up and up and up into the sky, the king of the skies. You see, the eagle discovered the truth of who he was. The eagle stopped believing that he was a chicken and he started believing that he was an eagle and he rose up in the air and he flew free the king of the skies. The eagle discovered and believed the truth of who he was. And you know, it's vitally important that we discover and believe the truth of who we are. Of who we are in Christ. Ransomed, healed, 
restored, forgiven, beloved children of God, heirs of the kingdom. And so through our creed, our confession, and our catechism, through sound biblical doctrine, we too can discover and remember who we are. We too can soar on wings like eagles. We too can become who God intends us to be. Be spiritually formed by him to become more and more like Jesus. Shall we pray together for a moment? Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that you are with us by the power of your Holy Spirit and your living word, speaking to us, shaping us, forming us, making us more like Jesus. So we take a moment in your presence, in the silence, to continue responding to you, to what you're saying, to what you're doing amongst us. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, truth that brings us life. And we thank you for those faithful Christians who have gone before us and who have sought to set down the truth of the Bible for us. We thank you for those documents of the, the creed, the confession, and the catechism. Documents which, have, which you have used to form and guide countless generations down through the centuries that have set out sound biblical truths, that have served your people well. Documents that teach us about you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and about us, your church. Documents which have helped us to better know you and understand who you are and who we are. Documents that unite your church to you and us to one another. So Father, alongside the ultimate truth of your word, Help us to use creed, confession, and catechism to better understand your word and to live it out, to watch our life and doctrine closely as we seek together with Jesus to bring life to Belfast and the nations. Father, we love you because you have first loved us. And we pray for your glory alone in the power of your spirit and in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.